VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This is The Rut from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks once again for joining us, and we're right in the middle of what could be described as almost a classic Six Nations, one of the best and most compelling for ages, and my goodness, didn't rugby need it? It's been fantastic, and there are three great games on in the forthcoming weekend, which we're going to talk about. Uh, Top-level panel today, Will Kelleher. Did you ever play flanker, Will? I did, yeah. I, okay. I, I wanted to play flanker more than I did. Let's okay. put it that way. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so Will the flank is here. Also, Sam Warburton uh, was also a flanker, I believe, Sam. Did you play flanker, I, Sam? I had, a, I, had a, I had a go. I had oh. a go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, you had a decent go, actually, all over the world. And uh, so Sam Warburton, Will Kelleher, will be joined later on by Alex Sanderson. One of the great things about last weekend when there were no internationals, how fantastic some of the club rugby was. Uh, Sale and Saracens was an amazing game. So too, Bristol's home game, uh, in which they played some of the best rugby that, that's, that we've seen for ages. So we're going to speak to Sh- uh, Sale Sharks director of rugby, Alex Saunderson, after Sale beat Saracens in the weekend. And of course, we look forward to the return of the Six Nations with Italy-Wales. Wow, what a what a shaky thing that might be for Wales. England-France, Scotland against Ireland. Can the Scots get up and beat uh, or, or stop the Grand Slam charge? But also name our god or goddess of the week. Before we kick off, I'm off air. There was two frustrated Spurs fans on this. <laughs> Sam and Steve, are you, are you reeling? From the current state of Tottenham, or what's happening there? It, it, you know what? You, it, it's just parallel universe. It, <laughs> it doesn't conform to any other sport, uh, any other behaviours, or anything like that. You know what? What Manchester United players felt when they were seven nil? That's what we feel almost every week. <laughs> Even it, if this is lose. forever. Yeah, forever it, it, we're going through, isn't it, Steve? And it's for it's forever, and it, 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 things never change. However much money they make on the stadium, <laughs> the, the best stadium ever, it's still the same. And if they they'll probably almost certainly, I would say, thrash Milan on Wednesday because that's a Spursy thing to do, and yeah. then they'll lose to a, a Risker or someone on the weekend. So, um, Sam, yeah. have you have you been ever up on the roof? I was with Adam Hathaway, our our friend and colleague, the the dog man, who's been on the ruck a few times yesterday, and he was saying how he was. So fearful of going up and walking around the cockerel a few years ago with his kids. Have you done that, Sam? At the state of the new stadium? 
you know, like kids' playgrounds, they often have those red rope climbing frames, mm-hmm. that are, you know, like a pyramid shape. I can't even get to the top of that. So I'd have, <laughs> I'd have, I'd have no chance going onto the roof. They've asked me at the, obviously, the principality, they do oh, roof yeah. walks up there. Oh, do they? A- I didn't know absolutely that. no way in hell would you catch me up there. So I'd love to go up and see the cockerel that they brought across from White Hart Lane. But unfortunately, I'd have absolutely, I went to London recently, actually, with my family just for the weekend. And I let them crack on around the London Eye, and I went off to Wagamama's on my own. I was like, there's no chance I'm going around the London <laughs> no. Eye. So I'm not good with heights, no. You're all right on the London Eye, though. This quite contained, or is it just still oh, get the no, knees going? I'd, I'd, be, I'd be sweating. I'd be like a spider, just like sucked to the floor. I wouldn't be able to move, so I'm terrible with heights. <laughs> so, no, one, no wonder you weren't lifted in line that much, uh, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> we found his weakness, heights. We didn't know it at the time. Also, the funny thing is, there's a really big rugby match coming up so it's, uh, at White Hat Lanes very soon in yeah. a few weeks. Between um, between Saracens and Harlequins, which is going to be absolutely massive. Smith v Farrell, and they've also They're on the posters. We've also got we've also got um, an underground racetrack that's going to be put in there. Oh yeah, uh, we've got an American football pitch which slides in and out. It's an absolutely unbelievable place, except when the football club. Yeah, I was going to say, you think you concentrate on the football for once, yeah? <laughs> Sam, cheese room, there's a cheese room. Pints that fill themselves. Sam, we might be going from one uh, agony to another here, but um, Italy, Wales. Um, usually, we kind of almost patronise Italy by saying, "Oh, look, they're coming on, lads, and you know, you really fought hard." But are we are we now looking at a potential uh, Italy win there? I was very critical of Italy this time last year. Um, and I actually put my hand up and apologised publicly to Italian fans when I was last covering a Six Nations game. But mm. then this time last year, I think, what, England beat them 33-0. Uh, France and Ireland both put 50 points on them. So it wasn't a great Italy team this time last year. But then these are the, maybe the learnings that this side had to go through. And I wrote with, um, you know, I wrote in, in my column with, with you guys last week that I actually like looked at the average age of the team that played... Uh, last week, uh, or two weeks ago now, when, when this will go out, it, it's these last game. Their, their forward pack average age was 26 and a half years old. Their back line was 24 and a half. And there's only probably two players in that starting 15 who won't make the World Cup in 2027. So I'm, you're looking at Italy, like as a coach, Kieran Crowley's thinking, I've got 90% of these boys now for the next two or three World Cup cycles. Mm-hmm. Then they sort of, they lost to Georgia in the summer last year. Then they... But then they put Samoa to the sword. They beat Australia in the autumn. South Africa had a good win against them. But then Six Nations, they've kicked on again. I do think in the last six months in particular, they have been on an upward trajectory. And like I'll get some disgruntled Italy fans going like, oh, ha, ha, you know, what, what do you think now? I'm like, brilliant. This is great for the game. This is what this is what I wanted for the Six Nations. I thought they should have. Um, th- th- I thought the talk about potentially getting rid of Italy was absolutely justified. And they went however many years, was it knocking on 10 years mm. more than that, not winning a game. But now, yeah, they're justifying their position in the, in the tournament. And it's it's great. And more importantly as well, they're not just being competitive. They're actually playing some really nice attack in rugby. So I, you guys might know, I, I haven't looked at the bookies. I actually never made a bet in my life. I don't actually understand the whole mm-hmm. five to two, three to one thing. But I imagine that they might have them down as marginal favourites, you know, So um, and that doesn't surprise me. The, the, the bookies just, uh, Wales uh, uh, were just marginal favourites by about a point, but there's a really interesting um, um, odds last week, um, and that was the draw was 18 to 1, and I'm thinking, blame me. What, what, so right, that, you have to explain that. I have well, no well, idea that, what that, that means. That means <laughs> is that if, if I put on a, if, if you put on a pound, and, uh, and it's Italy a draw, winning. you get, no, no, it's, 
the draw, the draw. So in other words, what oh. I'm sa- what I'm saying is, Wales haven't got a lot, an awful lot of scoring power. Capoazzo is yeah. not playing for Italy, mm-hmm. so I'm just thinking a draw. It will be very close, and you can get you get a po- eighteen quid for a pound if it is a draw. Yeah, that's my end of my uh, William Hill. <laughs> will um, <laughs> same question as I asked Sam. Yeah. Um, is this a, a real danger for Wales? Definitely. Grave danger. Definitely. And isn't it great? I mean, as you say, over the over the years, and sometimes rightly so, we've kind of patronised Italy and looked at their fixtures and gone, well, look, obviously they're not going to win, but type thing. And we had a small bit of it before the England game where we thought there could be a banana skin there and it didn't happen. But this time you think there's a real genuine chance that they could beat Wales. Um, and that, as much as that would be sad for Wales fans to lose to them two years in a row can't be bad for the tournament that can it I mean, Sam I was going to ask you you were in the stadium uh, commentating for BBC last year That the end to that game in Cardiff um, what are your memories of it like heartbreaking for Wales but that ridiculous try at the end and um, Watts are going through Padovani and all that what was that like being there yeah I mean it's quite I find it quite easy to emotionally detach myself when I'm covering a game and just talk about it from a neutral perspective so when i watched it like my, my first thought is like oh what what drama like you know great drama great great for Italy. like you you need sometimes you need something like that to happen to be the catalyst for something and whether that was the catalyst for the italians to have a bit more belief and confidence in themselves then then great if i can kickstart their journey towards a better team then, then brilliant not obviously not at wales expense i would have rather not see that but for the game, it's great. And I think Wales at that moment in time always needed a kick at the backside as well. You know, some a lot of people were saying like that was always needed to happen. You know, like mm. Wales were sort of treading water and you felt, and you know, since that it's been so much has happened in Welsh rugby and it's sort of, you know, the whole the cliche about the paper over the cracks has kind of, you know, been used a million and one times. But, you know, success at national level was papering over cracks. And ever since that defeat, it's really opened up a, a can of worms within Welsh rugby. So I think it's almost been a good thing because it had to get solved at some point. This, whatever's happening now in Welsh rugby, like it was going to come to this bottleneck moment sooner rather than later. So I think that Italian defeat just sort of brought out the the woodwork along with the, the Georgian defeat, probably a bit quicker than most people expected. But I thought it was, it was great for the game. And I actually think um, you said the bookies of Wales down as narrow winners. I thought Italians might be favourites. Mm. I actually think Wales will win because you know, as a Welshman, like I was, it was you know, like New Zealand don't have that record on their CV. You know, like the top teams, England won't have their rec- that record on their CV, losing to an Italian side at home away. You know, okay, maybe, but never, never at home. And I think the Welsh players would be carrying a lot of hurt, and I would if I was still playing. You, you say you don't make games personal. Sometimes you do, and mm-hmm. that this will be one game you do definitely make personal. And you and it will there'll be a lot of hurt from that defeat from from last year. If I was playing, I'd be climbing up the walls in that dress room to get out and try and rip into the Italians after what they did to us, you know, this time last year. So I think Wales will bounce back. You know, there'll be a lot of guys there who sort of experienced that. And I think they'll bounce back. And I, I think they'll actually win. But again, I wouldn't celebrate it because no disrespect to celebrate a win against Italy. That 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 shows how far back as you've got. You go there, you do the job, you win, you move on. You know that's just got to mm. be the mindset. But I do think Wales will have a reaction, um, and they'll definitely make it personal on the weekend. So Simon, 
you talked about that can of worms that's been opened and has gone all over the place in, in Wales over the last few weeks, which has been building for so long, and you've written a couple of fantastic columns about it that have um, got a whole load of traction. So where are we at with it, and where do you stand with it all? I mean, there's been brutal stories with Willis Halaholo over the weekend mm. with his injury and talking about turning down contracts abroad and now massively uncertain. You've got someone like Jared Evans probably leaving Cardiff and going to Quinns next year. Um, talks about players having to take 90% pay cuts to stay. Um, even talks of an Osprey's Ealing Trailfinders merger. I mean, as someone whose heart and soul's invested in Welsh rugby and whatever you've achieved with them, do you just sit here and almost in tears looking at the situation, just going, how the hell have we got to this? I never wanted to be that ex-pro who was very vocal about certain things because I, you know, I I don't want to. I'm not saying things for effect or just try and get try and get attention. I've tried to keep it quite quiet and I button it over the past few years. But the reason I've said stuff is because I I love Welsh rugby and I I love what it not just given me. I love what it gives kids when I'm walking my dog, you know, on every weekend. And I see the hundreds of kids on my local club running around the field and just to see it sort of in disarray a bit really kind of it does break me a bit because it is our national sport and it brings together so many communities so to see it sort of crumbling away and people losing that prize like really sort of hurts me you know like I sort of was that kid in in a primary school and I mean we sing the national anthem and we try and belt it out so loud our teacher would be like oh let's sing it so loud the national team can hear us I would actually sing it so loud thinking that there was a chance that five miles away the national team could hear this little primary school in North Cardiff singing you know the national anthem (laughs) as loud as they could like it's just part of our DNA growing up you know you're all wearing red rugby shirts to school it's it's fab and to sort of see that now sort of not at risk, you know, the game will always survive, I think, but to not be successful and not maybe have as much popularity as it has done, you know, it does hurt. And I, I was chatting to, spoke to my brother who's a physio at Cardiff who, you know, yesterday, like lads are considering getting a, a job as like a, a tradie and then playing semi-professional so they can top Crazy. up those salaries wow. by 15K and they'll be earning more money than being a professional rugby player because mm. they've got families they need to look after. It's not because they throw their toys at the pram. They can actually earn more money elsewhere. Do it. It's mm. like, oh, this is crazy. So Willis is another example. You know, he would have been a good earner at Cardiff, rightly so. He's been a massively influential player and he's been a brilliant signing. And Willis has unfortunately got an injury. And now he's, you know, going to be out. Of, if he does accept a contract, he's got four young girls. He's going to have to either accept a contract, which is could be like 90% down on what he was, was on, on before, or he's going to now look at the the logistics of relocating and getting four girls in different schools and nurseries and getting a house. And it's like, it's just a nightmare for these players. So you hear these stories that they, they are real, you know, Sam, uh, I hope you weren't apologizing there for your journalistic role because um, no one thinks you're an old player who's interfering. In fact, a lot of people I know, including Will and myself, look forward to your columns and absolutely, oh, and have absolutely been rivet- riveted by them. I think they've been absolutely powerful Oh, and all, you, and written for the written for the right reasons. Well, he comes off the bloody field. He does a <laughs> journalism as well. I was going to ask you, Sam. Like, it's a it's a brutal question to ask, and if it's an unfair thing to ask you, then 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 fob me off. But if you're in your playing days still, and this was all going around, and whatever status you had at that point, whether you were the 22 year old or whether you were the 29 year old, and still playing at Cardiff and a Wales player, what on earth do you do when they say to you, right? Your situation is this. You either take a massive pay cut to stay and the sort of honour of playing for the Wales jersey is still there or you have to be selfish and you have to look after your family and you move abroad and you maybe sacrifice your Wales shirt if you haven't got more than 25 caps. 
that is, it's a hell of a situation and you you won't be able to fault the players who do make that decision to leave so I just wondered like, what on earth would you do in, in the various shoes these players are in it's a very good question I, don't, I won't hide away from it um, oh, so that's a really tricky one because I think unless you're in that position it's, it's yeah. very difficult to know what to do but I think you know, if a player has got you know, you, the reality is you've got a player who's probably in Wales living in a, you know, don't get me wrong, you, you have a nice living, probably living in a 500k house. He's probably got a mortgage of, you know, a couple, two or three grand a month, maybe, you know, quite an aggressive mortgage because, mm. you know, you have to have a short term mortgage because you don't know you're, you're not going to earn that money for 25 years. So mortgage companies don't give you, you know, long mortgages as a player because they don't know if you're going to pay it off in the long term. You've got kids in school. So if you're then on 150K and then you're told, right, you can only have 30K and your wife's part-time, you're like, well, I can't pay my mortgage. I'm going to have to either downsize with my three kids into like a, a much smaller, much, much smaller house. Or you think, right, I'm going to relocate in similar money elsewhere and financially better off my family. And I will, I would never, ever, I've seen these boys, you know, like Jared Evans in the press at Blues, who's Cardiff, sorry, who's been a you know great number 10 for us. I would not blame them in the slightest whatsoever. Like you, you can't, they have to, you have to, family comes first always, I think, you know, and that's the most important thing in life. So I'm sure players will make the decisions to put their family first. That's why I retired because I put my family first. You know, I didn't want to mm-hmm. keep earning good money. Um, I was like, right, I'm happy to take a drop in my salary, but spend more time with my family and not be not and put them first for a change so yeah you, you've always got to put family first i think players will have to make decisions on on what's best for for them and their family well, well spoken um to you uh, both lads just one one more word about the actual wales team they still have to go through the the fixture with 15 starters sam um where, where does warren go this week in your in your opinion he's tried experience and he tried youth is it just pick the, the 15 form players this week or what I think if Gats picked 15 boys we thought was going to be the future of Wales and they lost, but he saw a lot of growth and it was a great bit of exposure for them, I think Welsh fans would be gutted. Mm. But I think that that's actually probably the right thing to do for Wales are right now. Like they're in this discovery phase of finding out. And Gats admitted it before the England game. Uh, I think I think it was Steve James, actually, one of our journalists, who said, you know, do you know, are you any closer to knowing your team yet? And he said no. So he has to find that out. So I, I think it would be interesting. He's sort of, he went young forwards against Scotland. He went young backs against England with mm. a mix of experience, of course. I would love to see now, when I say young forwards, young backs, there's obviously a sprinkling of experience throughout that, you know. So you're going to have your Ken Owens and Toby Falatows in there, you know, whatever happens, you know, possibly like your Josh Adams. Or, you know, so you've got like a lot of experienced players there who are, you know, Lions quality or have been Lions quality. But I would love to see the younger lads go. You know, I, I really think Joe Hawkins and Mason Grady could be um, an exciting combination moving forwards. And you've got two more games now in the Six Nations, three summer games. You've got four pool stages. So one, two, five. You've got nine more tests now. they got nine tests until they get to a knockout stage. You need to know if can a Mason Grady start at 13 with Joe Hawkins at 12 in the cauldron of a Wales-England game, you don't want to be, you know the answer to that now, but you don't want to be asking that question if you're going into a quarterfinal and George North gets injured, for example, and Mm -hmm. a bunch of other senior players, and they're playing their first big knockouts, their first big game in a knockout stage of a World Cup. So I think going away to Italy, and that's like a World Cup, you've got to be, it's great to play at home when you have your home comforts, your team hotel, all these things, your chef, all those luxuries, nice luxuries you have. You know, can these boys then front up an adversity away from home, away from your home comfort? So that's why I think it would be a great 
place for the youngsters to go and play when the Italians will be smelling blood. Like I say, you still have some experienced boys there in the starting team and particularly on the bench even, you know, like the guys like Adam Wynne-Jones, you know, could even have a good case to start, but if not, certainly on the bench. So you have that sprinkling of experience there. But I think it's time just to give the youngsters a go now and this is when we can find out if they've if they got the medal. And then they, there's another eight tests after that until you get to the knockout stage of a World Cup. So plenty of time to find out what your best team is when you get to the business end of a World Cup. Sure, and um, well, one way or another, guys, uh, it's going to be not this afterthought in the championship. It's going to be an incredibly emotional game for, for, on many fronts in Rome. And there's also another emotional game: uh, England and France at Twickenham. The France uh, until they were kept, they were brought to their knees by Ireland. Were the World Cup favourites? Will um, I'll start off off with you and then see what Sam feels? Um, there appears to be an eternal triangle. Um, mm-hmm. uh, forming a Farrell, a Farrell's Ford and Smith. I don't think I'm, I've made any secret of the fact that I don't see Smith anywhere remotely near that triangle. I think it's Farrell and Ford are the men. And uh, what people forget about Mar- uh, Marcus Smith is he's a great runner, but far from a great kicker uh, and or tactician or defender, in my point of view. But where are you going with uh, um, if you were Steve Borthwick? Um, or, or if you will, Will Kelleher, where are you going with oh. your with your midfield? Lucky I am, Will Kelleher, isn't you, it? Oh, you're I can Will answer for myself. Yeah, you can. Yeah, go on. <laughs> well, before I will answer that, but before I do, I think it's interesting maybe to take the, the listeners behind the the veil a little bit because I feel like this is a really fascinating week in the early stages of Steve Borthwick's England career uh, with us. I think in the media because essentially last week he said, look. Smith dropped from the squad from last week and they set up a press conference to explain that and essentially said, look, he needs game time, he's a confidence player, he's the sort of guy that would thrive on a big game, literally the big game, playing uh, for Quinns against Exeter. We want to see him play well and he's still in contention to play. And all of us who have been listening to Eddie Jones and other coaches before that go, when someone is dropped out of the squad, they're dropped from the squad. And whatever way they try and explain it, they're dropped from the squad. Like There's, there's no way around it. Whereas Steve Borthwick's a different guy and has come in and talked about being authentic and having a lot of clarity. So I think the next few days are going to be really interesting because if Smith genuinely does come back into the starting team, then we change our um, view of what dropped means, I think, perhaps. Whereas if he doesn't, then we look at what he said last week and say, OK, well, the wall was being pulled over our eyes. He was actually dropped, but you were just trying to push the headlines he down to the next he was week. Dropped. But that's, but that's not the voice that's coming out of the England camp. The voice coming out of them is he wasn't dropped, he was given a chance to go and play. Then Sam will know training time is sacrosanct, isn't it? I mean, and if you want your your fly halves together, why would you leave one of them out of a training week in Brighton if he was going to then start or be on the bench the following week? So I, I think the one interesting thing, or as, as well as all of that with this week is I think that Steve Borthwick's era is going to be defined by how he manages Smith and other players like that That, and that's always a challenge for an England coach because you basically have so many players that you're going to have to drop and leave out loads of good ones so the man management of Smith is going to be vital for him how does he if he does drop him and leave him out for a few tests how does he keep him hungry and in a year or so in England because very quickly Smith will start going if I'm not in the team a lot I could earn an absolute bucket in France or Japan. Well, or he can else. go. Whoever's dropped has got the same. Yeah, I know. He's got know. no divine right to be anywhere. No, but I'm not he's saying he's certainly it's got no divine right to be in the media as much as he is. Because <laughs> at the moment, he is about a tenth of a player. Well, that's it's absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I think he's quite a good player, isn't he? 
No, I don't think so. <laughs> really? And do you okay. know, well, I spoke to someone who's played with him this year in an international match. He said it's impossible. He, he gets the ball, he checks, then he goose steps, then he wants to come in somewhere else, then he wants to come in somewhere else. It's all him. Mm. It's all him. He, he's not part of a. Uh, he's not part of a of a team. And that's someone who played right next to him. All I mean is, I think whatever happens with Smith, it's going to be a big challenge for Borthwick to keep him on side, essentially, because he's going to need him at some point. So whether in the past England coaches have binned off the sort of maverick player, the talented guy who doesn't quite fit the game plan and then lost them to the whole system, your Cipriani-type character, for example. And actually, I don't think Smith is anything like Danny Cipriani off the field or in mindset or anything else. But I just think that's going to be a fascinating narrative over the next few years. But there you go. Um, uh, France, uh, Sam... Where are we with them? We know they've got a lot of players out, significant players out, and they've they've com- coming three tight head props short. Who asked Bamba, Antonio? Um, There's a lot of players out, and not quite themselves. I mean, is not is there any panic over there yet? Do you think Sean will be doing his nuts, or are they still pretty much on course? Yeah, yeah, I I do agree. Like Jalange is a big one as well. He yeah. he's like their their hitter in defence. Like he's their almost emotional barometer in D. Like he's the one who's just like just just smashing people, you know, and you can tell imagine Sean just like he's his guy that Sean's like, right, you're the the emotional sort of benchmark for the squad today. You know, like you know, and you can see the way he defends the squad follow him. So him not being around I think is a, gonna be a massive blow for France. And the game has changed, I think. Like when Sean was with Wales and had his like one of his, his best six nations, I think he conceded two tries all campaign. And I looked at the tr- just a simple statistic. You know, France have conceded nine tries already this campaign, which is is unheard of almost for a Sean. But I don't think it's it's uh, anything negative on Sean. I think it's just how attacks have just evolved, and there's been so much more emphasis on attack, which Ireland have obviously spearheaded that. But I don't think France is showing the same ferocity in defence. Like they used to compete relentlessly at every single breakdown. It was just like phenomenal just watching that defensive effort, and they still do that. There's, there's been a lot of rule changes, like they're trying to speed up the game. And uh, Will Rugby sent out some information recently that the, the average ball in play time has gone up by three minutes a game. Now, that sounds like nothing, but when it used to be 32 minutes, now it's 35. Well, that's almost like an extra sort of eight to 10 minutes on the back of every game. So you're asking mm. the French players who are, people think France play quick temper rugby. They don't. They mm. just counterattack well. You know, like their mm. league isn't a fast league. They used to play in probably 25, 30 minutes maximum ball in play time in France. And it can yeah. be a lot less. When Italy played France, it was 25 minutes. So those teams play a lower ball in game, a ball in play time. When Ireland played France, they got up to 45 minutes. Now that's like playing a 110 minute game of rugby, you know, mm. like it's just, it's massive. It's almost like one, one and a third games, you know, it's like an almost an extra half of rugby, which I think France, maybe that's taken some time for them to adapt to that. The, the games are a bit quicker than they're used to at top 14 and teams are finding it. It, it makes it slightly easier to, to score against them because tempo in matches is going up. I just wonder whether that's one thing because I'm trying to figure out what it is, but mm. they are leaking more tries than normal. And that's the only the only rational thing I can really think of right now. As you say, like Do- Dante as well is, a, I think, a big loss. Okay. Um, Scotland, Ireland. Um, at the start of the year, maybe we didn't think that would be very close. Now it's a lot closer than we thought. Um, Sam, um, Ireland still going strong, playing you know extra minutes per game compared to France, etc. Are they in any danger with the Scotland revival up there? I think there's danger. There's there's always going to be a danger playing Scotland and Murrayfield feels a very different stadium to when I even used to play there going back five six years ago. 
there's a genuine sense of expectation now when you go to Murrayfield and there's a lot more belief in in their squad. And I do think that it'll be a tricky game for Ireland. Um, I sort of said, well, I think I said on the record about seven, ten days ago after the last round of fixtures that I think Scotland could could win. I, I, I don't. I think Ireland will win. I think Ireland will get an away win. But I think Scotland, like France, will show a lot of desire. They'll be very resilient, very tough team to beat. I just think Ireland have just got this. They've got this last 10%, which I don't think many, if any other teams in World Rugby have got at the minute. They've just got this. And, and what proved it to me was like going away from home and losing the Gibson Park and the Tyke Furlong and and these players and, and just seamlessly being so professional and getting the job done. And I... They've got, they've got this interchangeable ability that those who mm. watch Leinster mm. at Champions Cup level or in URC just have this relentless nature of turning up week after week. They can make as many changes as they want, but everyone just knows the system so well. It's just this beautifully well-oiled machine that they now have. I can't see many teams beating them. I just I can't see anyone beating them right now. And I think they will put in a... I think they'll win. I think Scotland will be really competitive a period of the game, but I do think that the Ireland's class will come through. And I'm seeing you're seeing a genuine world class World Cup winning contender here who could be a Northern Hemisphere team to finally rival the, the England 03 side that we haven't seen for 20 years from a Northern Hemisphere side. And I think Ireland uh, are getting very, very close to that team now. Well, Scotland are not out of it in terms of the championship. Is that enough of a goad? And do they have enough in them to? A, stop uh, Ireland's momentum uh, and their pace, or and B, to win the game? I personally don't think they can... Well, I, of course they can win the game because red cards and everything else, but I don't think they will win the game. And again, it's a bit like the England-France one. If, if they were to beat Ireland, you suddenly go, well, this is not just a Scotland team who take little wins here and there. This is a Scotland team who are really seriously playing incredibly well and ticking off some massive marquee results. Um I think they've had an amazing tournament so far and the last time they played they did a whole piece about Finn Russell and whether he's the best 10 or not in the world which would be a fascinating debate and if Sexton's fit it'll be a, a cool little challenge watching them play each other but yeah I mean imagine that I, I am the person who in the times at the beginning of the tournament said that Scotland would lose every single game which is just ridiculous right. like <laughs> punditry is yeah. hard isn't it Sam come on like, yeah. I know <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't, I can't see Scotland winning, but this has been a Six Nations where we're being surprised every week. So we don't know. I, I really like to ask Sam though about Andy Farrell because having worked with him on that Seventeen Lions, can you just talk to us a bit about how much of a I don't know? Because at that point he was a defence coach, wasn't it? So it's that kind of heart and soul thing, isn't it? But coming head coach is a bit different. But from what you know of him, what impresses you about the man? No, I'm not just saying this now. And I said this way back when he had his first Six Nations uh, campaign as head coach and there were some doubters probably from the Irish um, contingent you know of the press and Andy Fowler is one of the single most impressive rugby men and coaches I've met when I was on the two Lions tours with him and and he had this he's got this the one thing he's got from the players is is the players will run through brick walls for him people got so much respect for him because you know everything he's saying he's done himself as a player and you can't help but think, oh my god, he would have been amazing to play with, you mm. know. And you just, you almost just want to, you want to earn his respect, and you almost see that with the Irish players, you want to earn his respect. And I was chatting to Paul O'Connell about him, and 
talking about his leadership style. He's like, you know, leadership, he said, is how you make people feel. You know, so Andy Farrell's not this guy who's just barking at people, calling people out, making mistakes. He's making the squad genuinely believe and feel so good about themselves at their world class and filling them with so much confidence. You can see that the way they play for him. The players have so much respect for him. Definitely one of the best coaches I've had. Not surprised in the slightest that they're doing really well. I remember having a, a quick chat with him um, when I was doing a little bit of coach with Wales and we played Ireland at the Aviva and I was obviously chatting to him in the aftermatch function and he was sort of asking how coach was. I was like, man, I never expected to coach. I didn't expect to be here. And he said, no, neither did I. And I was like, <laughs> and I thought, well, Flip, I was like, Flip, that you're doing a pretty good job at it considering that, you know, you didn't expect to be a coach, but it would have been a waste if he didn't because he's got such, you know, he's such an influential character, such a likable person, inspirational person. You know, Ireland are benefiting from him massively now. When you talk to any player about him or coaches work with him, no one's got anything but good things to say about him. So, yeah, I think... Um, I think he is, like, if, if the Lions are looking for a coach, I think he's just an absolute shoe-in. Mm. Well, just one thing, um, Sam's um, coaching stint with Wales, was that the start of the of the uh, decline? <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I'll defer that one to our friend and colleague. <laughs> we'll put a poll out there, see what happens. <laughs> just, just, just very, very quickly, one other little small item. Uh, we're going to turn to the Gallagher Premiership. It was vintage weekend for the tournament. Battered and bruised though it is. And we're going to be joined by Sale Sharks director rugby, Alex Sanderson. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Okay, as promised, he's joined by Alex Sanderson, uh, who I guess, along with Pat Lamb, are the coaching gods of the week. Yeah. Uh, after well, their two brilliant performances, Alex, thanks for thanks for joining us. And um, I don't know whether you uh, didn't look a very excitable sort of guy on the TV after during the game, but you must have been thrilled by the way the guys played, uh, and also by what it meant for the club because it seemed to be a huge and, and and really partisan crowd, which is just what you would have wanted. Yes, you want it to be a bit of a cauldron, don't you? A bit of a horrible place to come up north. And it has been in the past, and I think we're getting there again. I was emotional. I was excited. I just screamed into my hoodie away from the cameras. <laughs> so I managed to keep it off the screens because you have to 
keep at least the the illusion of composure, don't you, as a DOR? <laughs> but um, it meant a lot. I was asked a few times because it's you know the old team, and it wasn't that. It wasn't the fact that I got one over my old mates, or that it's now three one in the series. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> but, uh, it's what it what it what it meant to the club with the Northern Rugby Matters. It's having a full house and having getting that support and rewarding that support. It's the um, it's the way the lads turn themselves around. And Sam, you'll know this. It, it's a bit easier at half time when you've got the benefit of clips on the computer. You have a, a bit of a breath and you're able to to recalibrate. But the harder task is getting a team on their own merits, on the back of their own instruction to turn themselves around, to take control of a game, to shift the momentum, which they did 25 minutes in. So that's the, the thing that I was most impressed and, and, and most happy about from the weekend. Alex, how are you, how are you viewing this premiership? Um, I mean, you you and Saris are, are clearer than others ahead of the pack, but it just seems an absolutely crazy scene where everyone's winning games, pushing themselves into the middle. You've got Bristol putting 60 points on Northampton on Friday night, and now they're ninth, but only seven plays seven points off the playoffs. It's a crazy old season, isn't it? It is, and the better for it. Obviously, the competition is high. It shows the calibre of coaching and the teams that are in the competition. And we spoke about it today. Like, if you're just slightly off it, you get beat. You know, we've had a couple of bruising encounters, Northampton being one and Exeter being the other in, in the last three weeks, both of whom suffered some pretty big defeats at the weekend. It's the relentlessness of the competition as well that you've got to deal with. Are you able to flex and manage uh, the training load in the week? So they've still got some energy beans in them when they come to the weekend. Sam, just before Alex came on, you were talking about uh, belonging mm-hmm. and um, how it's difficult sometimes when you're to, to belong to a region. If you if you're in Newport or Cardiff or Swansea, do, I mean, do, do you do you think we've lost the, in Wales that sense of belonging which Alex is talking about now, and which if you play for Leicester or Gloucester, you do feel that you belong to something. That's one thing that shines through when I watch Sale and yourself, Alex, is I've covered Sale a bit in Europe. Um, yeah. What I love about Sale is, is that I think they can hit a physical and emotional peak, which I think a lot of other clubs can't match on a lot of occasions. And that seems to, it seems like it comes from yourself to start with. And I'm not just saying that you seem like a coach who I look at yourself and you speak really passionately about Sale. I'm like, oh, I would, I'd love to play for Alex. You know, like you really get that. And it feels like the players... You don't ask them that to do anything that you wouldn't do yourself, and you and you and it shines through that you really care for the club as well. And I think when you've got someone who's at the top of the tree who emulates that as a player, it's really easy just to to buy in. And I don't know if, if you consciously think about that, Alex, but it seems like you have got you know wherever you go, the players really buy in, and you care a heck of a lot about the club you're at. And I could only wish that we had that same sort of emotion and passion, you know, behind some of the clubs that we're at. You know, because it gives players a real good sense of belonging I think well, thanks Sam firstly thanks for the, the compliment you know if you ever get the, the urge to put the boots back on even if it's for a Vets game the, the Kerry boys have battered me now <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's not intentional it's it's hardwired in me to to look after the, the players and love the place that you work and have fun you know while you're doing it like it, I think that's the important thing you've been in teams that have won Grand Slams Sam, you know, you understand that the the fleeting moment and exhilaration of lifting that trophy is just that, but it's enjoying, you know, almost like the process of rolling and pushing the rock up the hill. If you can enjoy that repetitive hamster wheel of of work, then then you kind of cracked it. So it, it's more the day to day here that we 
that we, we, we look to make every day really, really important. Um, obviously, every weekend special. But yeah, the passion, I can't take, I can't take credit for that. Like, I can lead by example as I try to every day and, and ask certain things of them. Then it's, it's only ever going to be kind of extrinsic motivation. What, what we're trying to do, what we saw at the weekend, is for them to drive each other. That, that's true altruism, that, isn't it? When you're putting yourself and your body for the sake of somebody else, you, you tend to get more out of yourself. In fact, it's proven physiologically, you're able to get more out of yourself if it's for somebody else. So once you kind of create that environment, that, that's when special things start happening. Alex, I'd love to ask you about a couple of players. Um, the first one is George Ford, who we touched upon earlier. Just how influential has he been off the field? We, we've had a few conversations with guys at Sale about the way he's helped in attack meetings and all that sort of thing, but you've known him for a while, but bringing him up north, bringing him back home has been a big thing for him, hasn't it? And can you just talk to us about what he's been like around the place and now you've actually got him on the field, how, how he's contributing to that too? Um, he was definitely someone who sparked our belief at the start of the season. A lot of what I ask and demand comes by way of the things that I, I felt was important as a player and to do as a coach, work rate, defence, you know, all that kind of, all the stuff that requires no talent, Sam. You know, you've heard <laughs> that expression before. It's a well-used Alvin Jones expression. Whereas George, because of his, in, his rugby intellect, um, it was able to come from an outside perspective from that Leicester environment and, and, and talk to the boys honestly about how close we were, like we're this far off, and for the backs to back themselves a bit more, and not just to fall back into a default of contingency, and you know, not just to fall back into the probables as over the possibles, but when it's on, it's truly on. Let's have a go and back yourselves, and and as a result, what we're doing with the ball is far better this year in terms of our variation, but ultimately just scoring tries. Like, I don't think we're that far off Saris, if not kind of level pegging with them. And Exactly the same, yeah, 59 each. There you go. That's a decent start. I know a few yeah. more of ours have been through the mall, but thank God for rugby union, eh? Otherwise, it'd just be rugby league. <laughs> and you've actually conceded fewer by two, 41 right, to 43. Well, they're good stats then, aren't they? Over time, stats, stats tend to prove themselves. I was going to ask you, because obviously you, you spent years working with Owen Farrell too, and our perception yeah. from the outside is that they're sort of two halves of the same rugby brain, him and George Ford, because they've known each other since they were kids and grown up together and have that kind of um, telepathic yeah. relationship and all that. But are they actually quite different or, or, or is that about right, do you think, Alex? I, I think they're, they're very much on the same page in terms of uh, how they view the game, what both of them do with the ball. They'll be quite well aligned. How they go mm. about communicating that is vastly different. Yeah. Uh, not to say that one's better than the other, like Owen as uh, a catalyst, a, uh, um, what do they call him? Deviant. He's <laughs> someone who, who asks why, what for, and how can we do it better? And even if you circle around. Challenger, like that, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's sometimes I'll challenge you for the sake of challenging it. You know, but but that that brought me on as a coach, definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. And, and now I've been a little bit more long in the tooth, I guess. It, it, it was nice to have someone who I could, just have a, a cup of coffee with and, and converse about rugby matters as opposed to as opposed to fronting up against. But I think it's important. Like the best players do challenge you, should challenge you. The other guy I was going to ask you about too is is Manu, obviously who's who's banned at the moment. But what's the latest with him? Because I think his contract's out at the end of the season. Are you desperate to keep him? What can you tell us about the ins and outs of that situation? It might be tricky too. Uh, we are desperate to keep him. Like any club, we've we've just been 
hamstrung by the the salary cap uh, and the need to get uh, a robust centre that can function for us over the course of the season. Um, that, that that's got some growth in him as well, you know. Mm. Um, got some growth in that can grow with his squad because you know the average age of our squad's going to be like 24, 25 maybe. We've got five or six years in him. So that's been a priority. What's best for the squad and then, you know, what's best for, for Manu and, and what we want, what we desire at times is in contrast to, to what's best for the team long term. That's mm. what we're wrestling with. But we have found some money and we're, we're, and we're still in conversation with him. Okay, Alex. Um, just find, just finally, you don't keep you too long. Otherwise, it'll be the next fixture coming up. But um, you, 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 I remember, remember a previous owner of uh, of Sale said one of his one of his visions was that the Northwest is such a populous place and there are no big teams that close. That his vision was, to, as well as bringing people in, but to provide rugby for almost local guys. Now I've seen. Um, one or two people come into the team this year, like your, your scrum half on Saturday, on the weekend, the fullback. I mean, that that progression from uh, the academy or from the locality seems to be working quite beautifully for you at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, and we've invested more heavily in that area over the last two years than we ever have. I think part of it, you know, like if we're looking at the perfect kind of storm that's aided it, part of it was COVID. Part of it was the necessity to make the premiership sustainable as businesses. Part of it was my understanding and belief that it's teams that stay together, that win together. It's teams that are cohesive and stay together over time, that win together. You know, and on, and on the back of all of that, you've got a, a vast catchment area. And I say the Northwest, but, you know, we're, we're dipping our toe into North Wales as well and into Yorkshire because they're all areas which are closer to sale than, than most of the clubs, you know, barring Newcastle. And it provides a pathway for young lads to get into top rugby where they still have the support base of the families and the friends. They're not going too far away. And that's really important for mm. young lads from 18 through to 22 to to be able to call the dad up after a game or go and see their mum and get the washing done. All of that's important, you know, for for their continued development until, until they start peaking maybe 23, 24. The, the, the academy, as much, and I think there was 13 out of 23 who were all academy lads, at the weekend, and some of those, you know, had one mm. of the match performances. It's only going to get bigger. That's mm. that's the promise. Like it's only going to get. We're going to invest more, and there's going to be more of those lads from the north um, playing in a sales shirt. What a vision! What a vision that would be, Alex. Congratulations on uh, all the happened so far this season, and Thanks, thank you mate. for thank you for joining us. And uh, it was absolute joyous to watch it yesterday, and to think that it was on ITV's national coverage, not just. Uh, um, uh, you know, not just a small audience. It was it was just a great day for for yourselves, a great day for rugby too. So, Alex Anderson, best of luck for the rest of the season, and thanks a million for joining us. Thanks for your time. Sorry I talked so much. You get a word in there, Sam? Did you? <laughs> I just need to listen. <laughs> well, maybe next time. Just, you need to have some kind of uh, cue just to shut me up. Oh no, you're the main man. <laughs> All right, stop it. All right. Okay, it's time for God or Goddess or Devil of the Week. Um, we're going to come to Sam Warburton first. Sam, God or Goddess? Yeah, God. I'm going to be a little bit well-centric, sorry. And um, given it's not a Six Nations weekend just gone, I'm going to look at some of the club games. But there's, a, there's obviously a Cardiff boy and a Cardiff fan. They had their last home game on Saturday against Ulster. Now, they, they lost, but Ray Lilo, uh, who I think has been 
one of Cardiff and Welsh uh, the Welsh regions, one of their best signings over the last decade. He's been a phenomenal player for Cardiff. He had two unbelievable assists, two amazing offloads, which any centre in world rugby would be would be proud of. And it was the last time that the Arms Park crowd are probably going to see Ray Lilo. And he's had an incredible centre partnership with Willis Halaholo. And, th- and we're not going to see them again, it's unlikely, you know, with all the, the sort of budget cuts and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I did urge anyone just to just look at the, the Cardiff rugby socials, which they put out is, is two sort of try assists, which are outrageous. They were world-class sort of assists to, to create two tries for Cardiff. And it's the last time we're going to see Ray Lilo, but been a phenomenal servant for Cardiff. And unfortunately, the last time we're probably going to see him in the blue shirt in the Arms Park. So uh, my God of the week is, is Ray Lilo. That's a very good start. Will, anyone of that calibre? Right, well, I could, I could do one um, to really annoy you, if you want. Yeah, go on. Marcus? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right, actually. What that does the... really annoy me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think, so, honourable mention for him, because I'll do free, another one. It's a free speech. Yeah, it is free speech. It doesn't feel like it, though, sometimes, no, when no, you're in the studio. Free speech. <laughs> um, no, I just anyway, thanks, that... Will. We, we just carry on. <laughs> the way that he dealt with... with uh, a newsworthy week for him and he's kept quiet and just played very well and I mean it helped that Andre Esterhazen was pretty damn good for himself outside him but I think he did that really well so uh, props to him but the one I was going to choose was um, a sort of I don't know self-publication in some ways but I had a really nice chat last week and we put it in Monday's Times um, sorry Tuesday's Times with Mike Brown, the Leicester fullback, which always, when you say that now, sounds weird because he's spent so long at Quinns and everything else. But he's doing remarkably well. Uh, 37, playing for Leicester. His deal runs out at the end of the month. Um, he's also s- soon to be next week starting a course with the Football Association. He's going to be the first non-footballer to do this particular talent ID and development course up at St George's Park. He's studying for a degree at Manchester Met Uni. He's also just had a. He's got a seven-week-old daughter who's just arrived. Um, he's spending a lot of time on the M1. We had a nice chat the other day and, and put it in the Times um, on Tuesday morning. And just think, all power to him. He's got good thoughts about the game and he's doing well and proving that age is just a number. So good on Mike Brown. It's a very good one. So we've got Ray Lilo, Mike Brown. Mine's going to be um, a partnership or a centre uh, who I would love to see play with Ray Lilo on Friday at uh, Ashton Gate. Charles Pieter was on another planet. He was absolutely magnificent. And running the, the, the tricks he played, the entertainment value, it was just blissful. And I'm, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. All those who felt I um, kept Will down uh, opinion-wise, please don't write in. <laughs> um, really appreciate it, Will, and you, Sam. Um, I think we feel excited by what's going to be an incredible weekend. So Sam Warburton and Will Kelleher, look forward to the next time you come on. That was The Ruck. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.